Well, it is, uh, it is an important day today. Really important. Now, what would you, um, what would you say, um, is the, and it, you know, as we're getting started here, those of you who are Facebook users, as you silence your phone, you can go ahead and just check in on Facebook, let, let your friends know you go to church and you go to church here. Um, you know, what's the most important day of the Christian year, do you think? What do you think is the most important day of the Christian year? Would it be, uh, would it be Thanksgiving? Well, it's not really a day in the Christian year. That's in the U.S. calendar. Would it be uh, Easter? Yeah, I think we'd agree that that uh, Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday is is the most important because without the resurrection of Jesus, we have nothing. We have no reason to gather. We have no reason to worship. No reason to serve the Lord. So Easter's number one. Now, what about second most important day? Well, some would say Christmas. Christmas is wonderful, but I got to tell you, the Bible does not make that big a deal of Christmas. Um, we do, and it's an excellent opportunity to, to let people know that God loved the world so much, He sent His one and only Son to the world that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have eternal life. So, that's great, but two of the four Gospels in the Bible don't even mention the birth of Jesus. What about Pentecost? If you're like me, you grew up not really even giving much thought to it, you might have seen on the calendar, your printed calendar, Pentecost Sunday, you thought, well, that's probably for the Catholics or the Lutherans or the Pentecostals, maybe. Um, I, I bet most Pentecostal churches wouldn't even mention Pentecost today. You think, well, it's just an old, antiquated day on the calendar. It's the second most important day of the Christian year, of the Christian calendar, because what does it do? It marks the birthday, the birth of the church. Right? We already heard Pastor Stephen read the opening verses of Acts chapter 2, telling us how, as promised, God sent the Holy Spirit in power in a dramatic way, and all the believers there were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was a revolutionary moment. Why? Because it meant that, that ministry was no longer reserved for experts, for the scribes, for the Pharisees, for people that had been to seminary and everything like that, but ministry was now for each and every believer. Each in every believer. Because they, each of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to do what? They began to praise God and proclaim good news. The message of, of Jesus. They began to do that. Why? So that people would hear and turn to God for salvation. You can read the whole chapter 2 of Acts to, to read the story for yourself. Well, fast forward with me a couple of decades. About 20 or 25 years after Pentecost, the church is expanding, and the Apostle Paul is, is a missionary, he's traveling, he's planting churches, and he, he wrote a letter to the church in the city of Corinth, the Corinthians, and, and, uh, and he wrote a, an important letter to them we call 1 Corinthians. That church was the sort of wild west of Christian expansion. Uh, as, and as these kind of former pagans came to Christ, they needed some help understanding, you know, how to be the church and how to live in a way that that pleases Jesus. One thing that they did grasp really well was the excitement of what we would call spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, things like speaking in tongues and prophecy, healing, miracles, um, along with, you know, words of wisdom and knowledge, service, leadership, administration and so on. The problem was that they didn't always handle themselves and those things with with the greatest wisdom or sensitivity to each other. Well, why I think this is important is because 
with a couple of decades between the Pentecost event and this church, and a thousand miles between Jerusalem and Corinth, roughly, we, we get a glimpse in 1 Corinthians of what happens when there's some space and time separating the church from the event of Pentecost. And, and so this whole book is good, but there's a couple of chapters in particular that are really important for, for giving us an idea of how the Pentecost experience played out then and could play out for us being separated by time and distance from that event. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, several verses from there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're new to the Bible, um, we're in the New Testament, which is on the right side of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the four Gospels. And then Acts tells the story of how the church started. Then we get into the letters or the epistles, sometimes called that. Romans and then... 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians. And as you're looking for that, you're looking for the big number 14. That's the chapter. And small number 1. That's the verse. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 1. I'll read 1 through 5 and 22 through 25. And this is what Paul wrote to these believers. He said, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, which is a good thing, but it will be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is, is strengthened personally, But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Verse 5. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Now move all the way down to verse 22 with me. Getting to the end of this little section about tongues and prophecy. So verse 22. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. Or as happened on the day of Pentecost, they thought they were drunk. Verse 24, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Amen. we thank the Lord for his word. Paul goes on to give some more instructions about how to do that um, that hopefully we'll get to another time. Today's message really is a message for us, for the church. And uh, so I want you to kind of understand it's a little bit of a like in-house word today. I want to tell you, and maybe I've shared this with you before, but I was born into a into a into a family or, uh, you know, my family was part of a church uh, when I was born that was battling over the Holy Spirit. My parents and several other families had experienced what today we or what some would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they were freshly excited about their faith, about evangelism, uh, about the function of the spiritual gifts, including things like tongues and prophecy. Now, my, my 
parents and family included and several others, these, these were Mennonite families who up until that time had had zero exposure or zero teaching about the Holy Spirit. They didn't know anything. And so they were just on fire with this new experience. And um, the flip side of that is that because it was new and somewhat misunderstood, others in the church freaked out and, and rejected and forced out these families. Um, that particular church ended up withering and dying uh, because you cannot reject the Holy Spirit and continue to thrive. Now, that was early, mid-70s, and I was, I was just a kid, but you know we now call that period the charismatic renewal movement. It was taking place in Catholic churches, Protestant churches, uh, evangelical churches, kind of across the board and around the world. The problem, in some cases was exactly what the Corinthians were dealing with back then. Lots of Holy Spirit passion, lots of Holy Spirit resistance, and not enough love. And the Apostle Paul had to remind these Corinthians, you need to love one another. It's not a choice of either love or Holy Spirit. It's both. And the, and the priority when it comes to the spiritual gifts, the priority is love. Paul says it right there in verse 1. Let love be your highest goal. So if you're taking notes and you're bulletin insert today, that's your first, first one there. Pentecost priority, love. Love. Uh, the the uh, English Standard Version puts it this way. Pursue love. The NIV says follow the way of love. Or in NLT, let love be your highest goal. It's, honestly, it's amazing what happens in churches when people actually love each other instead of just like are in competition with each other. It's good for the gospel when we love each other. It's really good for the gospel. Because let's face it, in church life, something's going to happen. You're going to get your toes stepped on by somebody. You'll be inconvenienced. You're often not going to get, you know, the song you want to sing. You're not going to get the preacher you want to hear, right? Someone's going to goof off or goof up and gossip or spell your name wrong or be ungrateful or take advantage of your kindness or drop the ball in some way or mess up here and there. It's going to happen because we're people, we're humans, and that's how it goes. Right? Now, we can all work at doing better on all those things. I get that. But if love is your highest priority, you'll be amazed at how much you can, to quote Disney, let it go. Right? How much you can just... Not worry about it. After all, the Apostle Paul had just told us in the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, sometimes called the love chapter, he kind of defined love like this. Look at this on screen. In fact, let's read this together from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Ready? Go. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. And it goes on from there. Now, you've heard me say before in the context of explaining, let me give you an example here. In the context of explaining why we have two uh, Sunday worship services at 9, 30, and 11, that for us to function and grow as a church, we're creating entryways in and opportunities for people to attend a service, to serve in a service, and invite someone to a service. We've said that. Attend one, serve one, invite one. This is, this is really important. But... Um, we were recently talking about this at a staff meeting and kind of fleshing this out a little bit. And, and somebody in our staff meeting pointed out, hey, we're, we're missing something there. We're missing. We're missing love. 
We need to love one, too. Otherwise, it's just all mechanical. And, and I agree with that. You need to love at least one person in the body of Christ today. To talk to someone you don't normally talk to. Take a few minutes at the end of the service to, 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 to speak to someone that maybe you haven't normally spoken to or ever spoken to. Rather than just talking to the same few people every Sunday and, and telling the same stories and the same jokes. And, and, uh, and that's fine, but there's a time and a place for that. How about showing kindness or forgiveness or patience just because it's the right thing to do? So we're actually saying it this way. We expand it a little bit this way to say attend one, serve one, invite one, love one. Attend a church service here at Bethany. Serve in a church service here at Bethany. Invite one person to a church service and love one person here when we gather. It's a great strategy that helps us become healthy as a church. It's not hard to do and you'll be amazed at what it'll do for your own soul. Intend one, serve one, invite one, love one. Now, I know I've stretched the context here somewhat because Paul was really talking about the function of the prophetic gifts and, and other spiritual gifts in the church he had been already in chapter 12 explains that, hey, we're all different. We've all been gifted differently by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and yet, if we'll commit to love, we won't fall into the competition of saying, well, my gift is better or my way of doing things is better or we need to do it like we used to do it or we need to do it this new way. We won't have that competition because we'll love one another. See, when Paul wrote, let love be your highest goal, that verse 1 of chapter 14, let love be your highest goal, he added then, But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Prophesy. We're going to talk about prophesy and prophecy. So let me clear up some grammatical, potential grammatical confusion about that. To prophesy, that's a verb. So it's got, let's go to that next slide if we could, Johnny. To prophesy is, um, do I have one there that's just got those two words, prophecy and prophesy? I might have got those out of order. Prophesy is a verb. It's got the letter S in it. And that means you're going to speak forth the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, a message from God. Right? So that's a verb, prophesy. Prophecy, got the letter C. Think C is how to pronounce it. Prophecy is a, is a noun. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a thing. It's a, it's a message. It's, it's what's brought by the person who prophesies. So prophecy is a thing. To prophesy is an act. Okay, that's your grammar lesson for this morning. You can just bend to school and back. All right? Paul's point here is that because of Pentecost, right, because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and I understand it to be true that every believer, every believer in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit by faith on salvation. But it also often takes, not always, but it often takes kind of a a subsequent encounter of, of spiritual desire to sort of ignite the work of the Holy Spirit and his gifts in our lives. Ephesians, um, um, says that we should be filled and go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a somewhat mysterious thing of kind of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But because of the Holy Spirit, we can all function, Paul's saying, at least he wishes we would, in prophecy. And not not just those identified as prophets. Well, how do you do that? How could we possibly do that? This is an example of why I'm always on you about developing regular good patterns in Scripture. Here, we, I recommend a thing we, we call the R&R Journal, the Read and Respond Devotional Journal, where each day you, you read a passage for the day, 
you're listening for God to just prompt you on a particular verse. You write that verse out in full and then you respond. What is the Lord saying to me through this scripture today? And you write that down. What are you doing? You're training yourself not to see how good you can be at Bible interpretation, not to see how, how much you know or how much you can observe or point out. You're training yourself to listen, to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through God's Word, Scripture. And it, that's how it comes alive. And as you equip yourself for that, you'll be amazed not only what the Holy Spirit will speak to you through Scripture, but what the Holy Spirit might speak through you to someone else through Scripture. That is operating, believe it or not, prophetically. That's, a, that's an act of prophesying. Say, you know, you encounter somebody and say, you know, that's funny. I just read yesterday, uh, you know, I was in Psalm 71 and I, I journal on this verse. And uh, can I just share that with you? I just was thinking like God was just reminding me of whatever it is. That's a, that's a prophetic function. You're speaking forth the wisdom, knowledge and understanding of God into someone's life. And it's good for them and it's good for us when we do that. Our problem is generally not that we are overusing or being reckless with the use of the spiritual gifts as were the Corinthians. Our problem is we're probably a little more content to more or less ignore these gifts. Kind of keep things to ourselves. But Paul says this, you should desire or the more literal translation would be to eagerly desire or strongly desire these gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So I'm not going to ask you this question. It's in your outline today. You can say this. Can we eagerly desire Holy Spirit gifts? Can we eagerly desire Holy Spirit gifts? I wonder if there's anything you eagerly desire. When I was 22 years old, I eagerly desired a girlfriend. And she found me and it was been great. I'm going to celebrate 25 years married this summer. It's awesome, right? Two, three years ago, when I broke my ankle, I eagerly desired mobility. And, uh, I, I, you know, I got there. Those were good desires, but selfish desires. They're for my benefit, right? So why would you eagerly desire Holy Spirit gifts, especially prophecy? Well, verse 3 says this. One who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Those sound like good things to me. To encourage, strengthen, encourage, and comfort others. Now, he goes on to say to speak in tongues is, is good. Paul says in verse 5, I wish you could all speak in tongues. I wish you could, he says. But tongues is largely for personal edification and for prayer. And if you want to ask me more about that, I'll, I can talk to you about, more, about that more sometime. But, but prophecy does these three things for others and for the church. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. See, when you grow in your knowledge and your ability, when your, your comfort with, with understanding the scriptures, you, you develop your skill of listening to the Holy Spirit, you then put yourself in a position, as I already explained, to prophesy, to speak what God wants you to say. And when that's done in love, in compassion and care for people, remember, Pentecost priority is love, right? When you do that, you will strengthen the church. You'll, you'll shore up the faith and the spiritual confidence of other people. You'll also encourage others. What does it mean to encourage? It means you'll, you'll deliver messages and scripture to, to people in their time of dis- discouragement or hopelessness. You know, you'll be equipped to do that. When you're, when you're functioning in this prophetic way, you'll comfort other people, it says. That means you'll bring words that, that meet people in their times of grief or loss or loneliness because God wants to comfort them. But it isn't, isn't it amazing God does what he wants to do, but he wants to do it through you. 
and through me. And, and, and there's people in your life thinking, man, I really wish God would, would really help that person. And you know what? Saying, God says, I will help that person. I'm going to do it through you. And it's an incredible privilege to be part of that in people's life. Now, when you've chosen to make love your highest goal, you'll want to do those things. You'll want to strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. You no longer approach church life in a have-it-your-way mode or a what's-in-it-for-me attitude or what can I do for others. Remember that old Burger King ad, right, that slogan? Um, no, we won't, we won't be like that. Instead, you'll be more like what we talked about a few minutes ago, embracing the attend one, serve one, invite one, love one strategy for church health. But it is a decision. It's an attitude choice to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Do you do that? Do you desire those gifts? The beauty of spiritual gifts is that they serve the mission of Jesus. In Matthew 18, verse 16, we read this, that Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So what's Jesus doing? Jesus is building his church. Next Sunday, we're going to start a, a, a longer look through the book of First Peter. And, and one of the key images in that book is that you and I, as believers, are the building materials, the very building materials for a spiritual temple, the church that Jesus is constructing. He is the cornerstone and the builder of that building. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts that, what, cooperate with, with Jesus and support the work of Jesus that is, the building up of the church. So if you want to cooperate with Jesus, which is a good idea to do, do what builds up the church. That's your third thing you can write in your outline today. Do what builds up the church. Again, verse 5, I wish you could all speak in tongues, Paul says, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you were saying, so that the whole church will be strengthened. That word strengthened is literally edified, which from, from which we get the word edifice or a, a building that the whole church will be built up. How is a church built up or edified or strengthened? Well, to build up means a number of things. Being, you know, a, a church being built up will, will grow numerically. There, there'll be more people attending a church that's being built up. It will grow in community impact. It will grow in spiritual depth. It's, it's fair to say that it'll grow in those things we've talked about here earlier, maturity and unity and multiplication. Remember, we talked about that with this tree back here. I know there's a bunch of equipment on the stage, but you might see the bottom of this tree has roots. We've talked about that being the, the depth of maturity, reaching down deep into God's word and, and finding strength and, and nourishment there. And the trunk represents the, the unity of God's people standing strong no matter what, holding us up even in times of storm and difficulty and so that we can supply from the roots What's needed for the beauty of multiplication, reaching out, being a blessing to each other and to the neighborhood and to the community and reaching out to those who don't even know Jesus yet with fruit and shade and life. That's what we're called to be. That's what it means to be building up. A church that's being built up will grow in creativity and generosity and joy and laughter and prayer and worship and especially love. And it will seek to change its own culture and preferences for the benefit of reaching and welcoming the unsaved. The Corinthians were guilty of, of just wanting to do their own thing and, and just like have a great time together. But it wasn't healthy and, and Paul taught them to focus on the needs of others. The opposite of a church built up is a church 
dying. A dying church isn't always obvious, friends. It's, it's poor health maybe hidden under busyness and activity and tradition. And it says things like, well, we like it the way it is, or, or we, we, we can't afford to spend any money, or, or we've never done it that way, or, or we don't want to offend anybody. And, 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 and it just gets stuck. Those are the words of a dying church. But look, jump back to the end of the chapter in verses 24 and 25, where Paul wrote, But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. You see that Paul's expectation is that in the gathering of the church, unbelievers will be welcomed and exposed to the good news through the gifts, the gift of prophecy. Paul expects that unbelievers will be there. The church gathered was never meant to be just for Christians. We're here to make Christ Jesus known to others, to people who don't know Jesus yet. Now, remember that early church, they they didn't have buildings, but they met in, in, in public places and they met in homes. Large group for the proclamation of the gospel, small group for fellowship, discipleship, prayer, worship and encouragement. So here's my question. Are you helping to build up the church? I mean, do you consider your participation something for the benefit primarily of yourself? Or do you see that your participation benefits others? Because it does. Last fall, I I, I meant in a few moments we're going to take communion together today and and celebrate unity and the, the, the togetherness of God's people. But let me just share a story with you before we do that. Last fall, I, I met an 83-year-old guy from Lemur. And he could not, we were at a, at a function together, and he could not keep himself from telling me about his church. He was excited about it. 17 years earlier, he told me that the church was about 120 disgruntled Baptists, and uh, they were leaderless and shrinking, and it wasn't going well. And they hired a new young pastor who preached the gospel and made radical changes to their culture and to their programming. And today, they're well over 1,500 people and growing. Hundreds have been led to Christ, baptized, growing, serving, blessing the community. It's an incredibly great story. So I asked this, this new friend that I met, I said, so what do you think about all this? I mean, you're there in the beginning. You had to endure all those changes. What do you think? And he said, well, it's not really my style. But look at the fruit. Now, there's a guy with a building up the church mentality. He gives, he serves, and even though it's not as he prefers, he knows he's going to have all eternity to worship God the way he wants. But only a few years to build up the church. So friends, there's so much that I love about Bethany Church. You know that this week people have been, and this coming week too, working like crazy, prepping for what we sometimes call VBS, for Kids Summer Blasts. We're going to have a week starting next Sunday, inviting children here. They're going to have a great time. They're going to learn lessons from the Word. They're going to be exposed to the Gospel. Not very many children have been registered yet for our program. Well, we got people who are working hard to do a great job, and we get to do the work of welcoming kids to be here, inviting them and bringing them and being a part of it. Uh, we can do that. Those are the kind of ways we help to build up the church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are to be eagerly desired so that the church will be built up, but always with love as our first priority. Do you even want the Holy Spirit gifts? Do you want to do what builds up the church through strengthening, encouraging, and comforting? I do, and I hope you do too.
as we share communion this morning, can I, can I put it on you to do whatever business you need to do with the Holy Spirit this morning? I, I, I'd urge you to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh, to, to, to give you a, a fresh perspective on the church, to, to endow you with His amazing church-building gifts. If you need to make things right with somebody this morning because something's been lingering and, and you haven't dealt with it, go do it. Make, make, you know, just make a decision. You're going to take care of that as soon as possible. We want to be a church that's worshiping the Lord together, functioning in ways that, that make Christ Jesus known in our communities from here to the whole world. And we want to do it in love, most of all.